Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, this is Lily Gorin with the New Books Network, the New Books and Political Science podcast. Today I'm joined by Daniel Mallinson, Julia Marin Helwig, and Eric Lepp, who are the editors of the Palgrave Handbook of Political Research Pedagogy. Um, this is a really fascinating and incredibly useful book for many of us who teach lots of different areas in political science and want our students to learn something about um, the social science methods, um, as well as, you know, becoming better writers um, and understanding uh, sort of information literacy. But I'm going to let our authors talk a lot more about that. I'd like to welcome uh, Dan, uh, Julia, and Eric to the New Books Network um, and ask them to tell us each a little bit about themselves and how they came to this really fascinating and comprehensive project. Dan, I'm going to start with you. Thank you, and thanks for having us. Um, so this project started uh, with a conversation at the 2020, February 2020, so a month before everyone's lives changed in the world, um, February 2020 uh, APSA TLC conference in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And um, I don't remember the panel, maybe Eric remembers, but Jamie Frew uh, was talking about a series that uh, he was co-leading um, with David Hornsby uh, for Paul Grave. And the purpose of the series is to give a space for uh, in- teachers, instructors to reflect on their pedagogy. And they were interested in books on a variety of different um, variety of different topics. They had already done one on teaching comparative politics, I believe it is. And so the idea, um, it was actually both myself and Eric had the idea of methodology might be an interesting area for uh, folks to reflect on, you know, how they teach. Um, And because, you know, most programs now, or many programs require political method, you know, a methodology class, um, whether it's statistics or it's design or information literacy, um, they require some part of the research process to be taught. And so there's many of us teaching it, but um, many of us who are teaching it are not necessarily political methodologists. I put in in air quotes, right? We're not um, uh, necessarily publishing in political analysis and and going to the methodology meeting and things like that. Um, And so that's going to go to the the breadth of the book. Um, We were really interested in having a book that broadly reflected those who were teaching methodology across the discipline. Um, And we also wanted um, not only the authors of the book to reflect that, but the editorship as well. So um, we uh, reached out to Julia, and she was uh, the head of the information. There's an information literacy track at the TLC that year, and she can talk more about that. Um, But we wanted to bring her in um, on the project as an editor. 
so we could cover the different parts of the process, but also, um, you know, more broadly reflect the discipline. Julia, go for it. All right. So when we did the uh, information literacy track, um, for those who haven't been to TLC, the Teaching and Learning Conference, it is a a multi-day but same track conference. And so you stick with your crew for the entirety of the conference, um, which meant that as a moderator, I got to read pretty much all of the 20 or so papers and got to really spend time with um, a lot of people who are not just teaching these classes, but are writing pedagogy papers on, um, on these projects. Um, and I teach writing and research here at University of South Dakota, and it's not something that I thought I would have uh, taught at all, similar to what Dan was saying. Um, but as someone who teaches that class and who happened to be working in the same department as someone who was uh, the program coordinator for the TLC that year, I ended up as moderator for that track. Um, and so that was great. And then Dan contacted me and asked me if I was interested. And I was seven months pregnant. And I said, sure, why not? I can edit a book, um, at, you know, at the start of a pandemic. Um, well, pregnant and having a toddler at home, that sounds awesome. Um, and so that's how I uh, got onto the project. And Eric, you get to clean up at this point. Well, Dan and Julia covered it uh, really, really well uh, at the, the conference in, in Albuquerque. It was just a classic talking to somebody in the hallway. I think, Dan, I think we were waiting to talk to Jamie both separately, and then we got to talking with each other. And um, then, uh, of course, uh, the world got really chaotic, and this, I think, helped keep all of us sane. I don't know, Julia, how you did it with the toddlers and the, and the uh, forthcoming children and things like that, but this was certainly a great way for us to uh, try to stay on our craft and, and hone it better during a very difficult time. And, and it's really an engaging book because you all also uh, elicited from the, the authors kind of personal stories, and you include embed your own personal stories in the introduction um, with regard to like, oh, I have to teach a methods class or I have to TA a methods class. What is that going to be like? Um, can you explain a little bit about how you wanted to incorporate this kind of personal voice um, into our understanding of how do we teach methods in political science? Sure, I can start. Um, so, you know, I think one way that we did that was really giving the authors the freedom to write about what aspect of their teaching of their specific part of the research process um, that they that they would like to write about and in the way they would like to, to write it. Um, we gave them some guidance in terms of, um, I, I think one common theme that comes out in, in many chapters is the experience of, um, we're all trained in methodology in graduate school and we go on the job market and we're in an interview and they're like, oh, can you teach research methods or you can you teach research writing or research design? I'm like, sure. Yeah, I, I learned that in graduate school. And um, but then you actually have to teach it and figure out how to do it. And it, it it's different in many ways than teaching, you know, American government or state politics or comparative politics. Um, so we really wanted writers to reflect on that experience as well. And that came through in a lot of the chapters, but um, we gave them a lot of freedom in how they wanted to, uh, how they wanted to reflect and, and what they wanted to reflect on. 
I think part of our, our thinking too was there are all sorts of resources out there on the technical side. Here's how you do time series. Here's what a control condition is in an experiment. And those books just in general don't typically focus on the personal side um, and the people doing the instruction. Um, they're very useful, but they often don't take that approach. And we thought um, that's not the goal of this text. We're not here to show people, here is the proper slide deck to use for OLS or, or whatever it is. Um, and so that humanization piece, I think, was a big part uh, of, of our thinking and our motivation because part of this, uh, you know, part of the project is to help people who maybe are feeling anxious about that inevitable first semester 8 a.m. on the first day methods course that we all said we were so thrilled to teach uh, back when we interviewed. I think what's really important to think about, too, is that, like, I love teaching and I think it comes through that a lot of these authors really love teaching. And I think something that's a common thread among people who love teaching is that we also love to talk about teaching and we we'll love to talk about like how we do it. And this is how I do my class and how do you do it? And, you know, sometimes, you know, we just can't have those conversations all the time. And so having a book that puts all of those little monologues, little anecdotes, the stories about how we actually made it happen and what works and what doesn't work is really helpful. And, you know, I love just reading through the book and saying like, oh, I'm not the only one who struggles or, oh, that's a really good idea. I should try that out. Um, and, you know, the how to books don't reflect that, like, did that work? How can you actually teach this thing? And I think that's just really nice and really helpful for teachers anywhere. And and in a certain sense, it's it's like having a teaching and learning conference that's been put into a book form. Um, because I do find that those conversations really transpire, particularly at the TLC, um, about, you know, what our experiences are in the classroom. Um, and, and I felt like that, that narrative sort of came through the book. Um, so I wanted to ask you to go through the four sections of the book um, and why you divided it up into information literacy as the first section um, teaching research design, teaching research, research methods, and finally teaching research writing. Um, and, and again, there's a sort of an obviousness to it, but also one where you're like trying to think about what's going to be best for the people who are going to consume this book as well. Do you want to start us off there, Julia? Yeah. So I guess there's a little bit of background story too, which is helpful, not just for people who are interested in um, reading the book, but people who are interested in editing a book, um, which is that when we started this, you know, if you'll see, there are so many chapters, right? Um, we have over um, 40 authors and um, over 30 chapters. Um, and so initially, we actually thought about this as two separate volumes. Um, and, you know, as thinking through this and, and talking about it, we thought, what are the components of teaching these classes? Well, and what are the learning objectives that we want from students out of this? Part of it is to consume research and understanding what these things mean when they see a graph, when they see um, statistics, you know, what does that output actually mean? And then the other part is producing research. And so we initially thought about it as those two separate volumes and eventually we were able to bring it all together into one book, which I think is really helpful um, to have this one handbook style book. Um, 
And so we use that same thinking, though, of like, well, what are the learning objectives they want to see? And so we thought through, okay, well, on the consumer side, we have the information literacy piece. And you'll see, too, in um, our overview of the kinds of contributors we have, we um, ask them a bit about their programs. And a few schools, and mine included, um, have an information literacy course as their part of their method sequence. And so that's sort of the first step. Um, and then after that, you need to figure out, well, how do we, um, you know, design the research? And we noticed that quite a few programs focus on putting together the research design, maybe not doing the hard stats, maybe not the complete writing of an empirical paper, but figuring out what the research design looks like. And so that to us was more on like the, you know, kind of early stages um, as we go through this process of research. The next step is actually doing the stats. Um, and so we have several chapters that are sort of your traditional methods courses, the statistics courses. And then the last part, which we felt is often forgotten or treated very separately. Um, and I think that's where, I guess, my I felt my contribution was in a bit because I teach the writing and research courses at our university. And so I thought, well, the last part of that is how do we actually write it up? Um, and I saw several contributors at the TLC conference who talked specifically about the writing part. Um, and so that is sort of the, the book end to the process of actually writing it up. And so that is really, that's the research process and that's the trajectory that we saw. Um, and so it made for really nice sections in the book. I, the, the logic and the flow, once I, I sort of read it, made perfect sense to me. But um, I, I'm, I was intrigued to know how you came to it. And, and I can, I can un certainly understand the, the idea of two books as well. Um, I don't know if anybody wanted to add more to that with regard to the sketch of the book. I'll make one quick comment as well, because um, I, I like to Julia frame that as, as for people who are maybe not familiar with the editing process. Um, another piece of that, it was uh, cost. Um, so two volumes is going to cost twice as much as well, not quite twice as much, but much more than a single volume. Um, and so we were trying to be mindful of the cost. You know, these academic books are, are not typically cheap, but, um, but two would be more. So we were, we decided as a, as a team to reformat our idea and, and fit it into one book that, you know, a library could purchase or an individual could purchase. Um, and, and I wanted to ask you also, uh, in, in terms of this, um, with regard to the the sort of research design of the book itself, uh, not research design that we'll talk about in terms of the classroom, but in the book itself, as I said, you you have a broad array of scholars from different kinds of institutions, community colleges, R1, comprehensive universities, elite liberal arts colleges. Um, you also have a diversity of race and gender in the book. But one of the things that I thought was really fascinating as well is you include quite a few authors who are librarians. Um, and I wanted to ask a little bit about both the recruitment process and 
why you wanted to make sure to include more than one, in fact, librarian as authors of some of these chapters. I can jump in a little bit on that um, because of uh, the recruitment part. Uh, so, um, you know, I've had the experience and I'm sure a lot of other faculty have had the experience of uh, if they have a research component in a course of engaging with the library and having librarians come in and do uh, library instruction. Um, and so often librarians are very much a part of um, teaching research in, in our courses, whether it's a research focus course or um, like I have a policy analysis course that I teach um, where we have library instruction. Um, so we were interested in having that perspective as well of, of the librarians um, perspective, as well as um, the the relationship between the faculty and the librarians, and so we were we were able to include um, uh, both of those perspectives in the book, which we really uh, are happy about. Um, the personal side, so the um, Emily Reed, who's one of the librarians, is is the librarian that I work with here at Penn State Harrisburg. So um, I reached out to her, and fortunately, she was very uh, willing to write a chapter for us. Um, the other chapter that stands out in my mind is Sally Friedman and Trudy Jacobson. That is a chapter that is written about the their relationship as a faculty member um, on Sally's side and, and as a librarian on Trudy's side, and how that you know how that worked, how that came about, uh, and how that has grown. Um, so yeah, that was especially important to us in the, in the information literacy part. More fundamentally, too, though. You know, we, we often talk about research as a collaborative enterprise, right? And so um, even just trying to model some of that through the selection of the types of people re represented, the types of institutions represented, disciplines, things like that, uh, was a very deliberate process. And, and it's very robust. I mean, the book is very impressive in that regard. And you also sort of indicate that in the nice graphs in the introduction um, in terms of the distribution of contributors. And so I was very impressed not only that you did it, but you told us all about it as, as a sort of example of sort of how we understand um, contributors. Um, so if, if it's okay, I just wanted to sort of have you go through with an overview of each section, starting with the information literacy and then through the three steps of the, the research components. Um, I don't know who would love to start, but I'll hand it over to whoever would like to. Julia, do you want to start with information literacy? Yeah, I can start with information literacy. Um, so as I said, this was really sort of important to me because of the fact that we teach the class here. When I first started at USD and saw that we had an information literacy class, I was actually sort of surprised because we don't have a general method sequence. Um, but, you know, in this era of misinformation, um, We've noticed that it's become really important for students to be good consumers of information um, and that this part is actually really fundamental. That's really hard to produce um, research if you don't understand how research works. Um, and again, this is where we brought in a few librarians and they actually give a really nice overview too of like what is information literacy and why is it important. Um, and the fact that most of us political scientists haven't actually really realized that there's an entire subdiscipline of <laughs> library studies that covers information literacy and what it means. Um, and so I think that's just a really helpful overview um, for readers to understand. Um, I also really enjoyed the chapter uh, by Christina Mitchell. 
that talks about science literacy and how they teach in the K through 12 classroom. Um, that actually has really changed my teaching, um, partly in understanding how they teach sciences and the natural sciences, say in biology, in uh, K through 12. What do they say when they talk about hypothesis and the scientific method? And how can we use that same language so that they understand the terminology um, when we bring it to our political science undergraduates? Um, and so I think that understanding terminology and understanding like what do we mean when we say research and are we on the same page is a really important component um, of information literacy. Um, the other part of this chapter two, we don't have a ton of community college authors, um, but one of those is here in this uh, section. Um, and Veronica Zena talks about what do we do when we don't even have a methods class? Um, so what does that look like? And it really ends up being a lot of focus on information literacy, but also on how do we just think systematically? Um, I think sometimes it's really important to think about, like, what do our students come in with? I think, especially in our methods um, courses, when we first teach them, I think this is a fairly common thread in the book, is that we start at too high of a level. Um, and so I think what this section does really well is bring it back and say, okay, what are the fundamental things that students really need to understand research and the research process? They need to understand terminology. They need to understand what it means to do analysis and have analytical and systemic and critical thinking um, and what are the terms associated with that. Um, and so, yeah, this section just really brings home what is research and what is information and how do we understand that um, through a few different um, views on that, um, on that concept. I can go next with um, research design. So... Um, likewise, you know, research design is so fundamental to doing good research. Um, I teach this in the, uh, the statistics courses that I teach here, uh, with master's students and we have a design and a, and a stats portion. And, you know, you can, you can gather a bunch of, uh, data and throw it into a, 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 uh, statistical software and get some numbers out the other side. Um, but if that data were poorly collected, if it was, if there was bias in the sample, um, if the experiment was poorly designed, uh, you, you, it's hard to make up for that on the back end, right? I mean, you have to have a solid design going into uh, to a research project, to a study. So, um, and I think uh, reflecting that uh, there are a lot of um, uh, some of the things that come out of these chapters are that. Uh, the institutions where people are teaching have chosen to focus on design. Um, and in their courses, they made the choice. Uh, some of them did have a choice of including statistics component or not, and have chosen over time to focus really in on design um, because of those, the importance of those fundamentals. Um, and often in these courses, we only have students for, for maybe one semester for a, for a requirement for a degree. Um, so I think that comes out of these uh, chapters as well. Um, there is a lot of really great stuff in this section. Um, it's actually, it's really hard to summarize it in a short period of time because it, 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 it's, it varies so much. Um, there's views on teaching 
in, um, in multiple different types of disciplines. There's views on teaching qualitative research skills. Um, Christina Batora has a great chapter on uh, how she worked through teaching with her own authenticity in the classroom. Um, there's teaching in different types of institutions like liberal arts colleges. Um, there's, there's just so much here. Um, how to teach quantitative research without uh, teaching statistical software, which is something we often get bogged down in in a stats class. That's by Deborah Leiter. Um, there's a great chapter uh, by Amanda Bittner on her uh, gender and politics lab. And um, if anybody follows Amanda on Twitter or, or knows her, you know, this is a great, um, that's a great example of how to have a lab model at an institution that's not, you know, a research institution um, and doesn't have a lot of internal necessary resources for um, for a lab style model. Um, another great chapter that is really unique in the volume is one by um, Nadia Brown and her students on um, the Black Lady Classroom concept. Um, and this was, originally Nadia was at Purdue and these students were also at Purdue and now Nadia's at Georgetown. Um, but it was a, uh, it was a, a structure of the, of the classroom um, that, that she used at, at Purdue uh, and so the students actually have a voice in that chapter, which is another more unique aspect, right? Most of these chapters are reflections by the instructor, by the faculty, but that one has a, a significant student voice. Um, so there's, yeah, and I can't hit on everything, but because um, we don't have the time, but there is, it's a very rich section of the book. And I think it reflects the many different ways that faculty approach teaching the very the fundamental concepts of how to design good research so that students um, students are able to do that um, coming out of their program and also so students are able to consume research and evaluate it on their own right we talk a lot about critical thinking and critical analysis um, in, in political science public policy and uh, you can't really critically analyze, a research study if you know nothing about research design. Um, so um, I think this section reflects that well. The next section is teaching research, research methods, um, which is, you know, sort of where most of the people who are looking at this book are landing. Um, so who would like to take up that section? I made it to day seven before accidentally meeting myself. Um, Dan just threw kind of the uh, the tough straw because in our analysis of what priorities uh, programs were, were emphasizing, research design was far and away the, the biggest one. Uh, so there was all sorts to, to unpack there. And, and Dan, I think you summarized it very, very well. Uh, but the, the research methods, uh, kind of the, the traditional sounding part uh, of this book, what you might see in other books, um, was also really interesting, and and there's two main reasons that I that I find it especially interesting. Um, one is that there's a big emphasis on the evolution of teaching methods from a lot of these these authors. Again, it's not jumping to like one of my my methods books above my desk. It doesn't jump to the equations on page number two, um, the way a lot of more technically oriented books do. There's a lot of discussion here of people talking about here's how I transitioned. Here's how I evolved. Here's how my experience at this university uh, led me to do things in a different way. You know, one challenge a lot of us deal with in higher education is 
we get PhDs at PhD granting universities, most of us don't go teach at those PhD granting universities. And so we're often in undergraduate only or regional comprehensive um, or contexts where the students are different, the resources are different, and yet we don't often talk about that piece. Uh, so that was something that came up here. Again, not so much here is the slide deck or here is the formula, but here's how I've come to teach this or that concept. So the evolution piece is huge. Uh, the second piece uh, is another thing that I don't, I don't think we talk enough about, which is what is the specific context in which I'm teaching? You know, we have people as uh, even people in this conversation whose courses overlap with other departments. Maybe courses are cross-listed. A political science research methods course that is cross-listed with criminology is going to be different than a political science research methods course cross-listed with sociology, right? So hearing people say, here's how I had to tweak the way I did things because of my context, because of the level of uh, prior political science knowledge my students bring in, or uh, existing math knowledge that students bring in. So it was really interesting to hear people talk about these stories. You know, one that I found particularly compelling um, was the, the conversation that I'm sure many of us had about if we're doing any sort of stats, what software do we use? Because we have dedicated political science software, or at least social science software, uh, that a lot of us learn to use in grad school, which is great for political science, not necessarily great for other sorts of data management, or at least less intuitive, or really expensive. So having people talk about things like, here's my uh, decision as far as adopting Excel, and here's how I made it work, right? Um, having people talk about supporting students who are full-time students and full-time workers, right? Everyone in this call has students that are that way. Where I went to college, most students weren't also working full time. A lot of ours are. Uh, so how does that change uh, the way that we uh, conduct our courses and set our policies and, and teach the methods that we uh, may have learned in a completely different context? So again, evolution plus context is kind of the new spin on the traditional research methods idea in this section. And then the final section, of course, is about writing. Um, which, you know, again, oftentimes students are like, this is not an English class. I don't need to learn how to write. Like, well, I don't understand your ideas. <laughs> so you do. <laughs> I, you know, that is one of the chapters um, in the, that section. Uh, Colin Brown talks about like unlearning um, good writing, right? Like there are so many students who either say this is not an English class or I had ace in English. How come I'm not doing well on these papers, right? Because, you know, it's different types of uh, writing, different audiences. And I think that's really sometimes difficult for um, students to understand. But we also don't do a great job, again, similar to the information literacy. We don't do a great job of explaining what good writing looks like. And most of us have training in the methods, but not training in the writing, um, and so it's sort of the naturally good writers versus the ones who had to work at it. Um, for example, people like myself who are immigrants and English language learners, um, which is really, you know, difficult. Um, but this section really is great because um, it connects to the research design section in that a lot of those um, teachers do a research design and then they write up the project but they don't really talk necessarily about that writing part. Um, it also goes very well with the research methods section in that students really come to writing and research with very heterogeneous skill sets. And so Martin Edwards actually has a great uh, chapter in there 
um, about his capstone class, thinking about where are they struggling? Where can I meet their needs? Do they have writing issues or do they have research design issues? And, you know, how can we have feedback that's appropriate and be responsive to their needs where they're at? Um, several great chapters here. I'm especially excited that Lisa Baglione decided to have a chapter with us because I use her book in my class. And so many of us, I think, uh, use her book about writing local science research papers. Um, and so that was really nice to have, um, you know, her more of the background story um, behind the book and behind her approach in there, which I thought was really good. Um, you know, so many, again, so many great chapters in here. Um, but I also really like the, I, you know, thinking about those different types of writing. Well, what are the transferable skills and, you know, what are the um, skills in writing that we can bring from the research design that they can bring from their English classes that they can move on to their next positions, I thought was also really helpful. Um, and then Daryl Lovell uh, also brings in the online perspective. Um, and now that so many of us um, have had experience teaching online, I think that is, um, you know, a, a very helpful component of how do we provide feedback and how are we responsive um, in writing uh, classes when we're teaching online. Um, and so again, this is, you know, this is the production piece. This is the, you've done the design, you've done the stats, and how do you actually uh, write it up? Um, and so I think it, again, it's a really good book and um, to really, I think, force us as teachers of methods and teachers of research design to um, put a little bit more emphasis on that writing component as well. One of the reasons the writing section was as a special spot in my heart too, is because it speaks to a larger question discussion that a lot of us have in higher education, uh, which is how much is it our job in research methods courses or other courses to be teaching students how to write or to be giving feedback on writing? You know, there are different philosophies on that. And we wanted to be able to contribute to that conversation. You know, people can make whatever decision they want, but um, if your department is thinking about adopting a research writing component, say, um, or or revamping it, uh, it was really important. I thought that we had some people talking about here is a, a specific focus on it because, you know, when, when we're doing our research, and I'm guilty of this too, right? I'm working and running code and looking at p-values and all that stuff. And then at the end, it's like, okay, got to write it up. And it's it's almost incidental or secondary, right? It's like, what's the least amount I could have in the conference paper will work, right? Uh, so having, again, more of a deliberate focus, more of a deliberate spotlight, as Julie was saying, on something that we don't often give a lot of attention to. Um, and something where departments vary widely in how much writing is formally part of their program. If it has its own course, if it's a learning objective, uh, we saw all sorts of different approaches to that. So uh, for folks who are thinking about that piece and, and reorienting or reimagining how they do it, a lot of these chapters will be really helpful. And I wanted to ask you all, and you know, I, I often do this when I'm interviewing editors of a uh, you know, multi-contributor multi um, volume, uh, to tell me a little bit about what surprised you as you were, you know, sort of getting the chapters back. I, I mean, I've edited a number of books and, and somebody's chapter turns up and I read it and I was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. That's so amazing, an interpretation or an understanding or something that I just never put together. 
Um, and again, I'm not asking you for your favorite chapters because we don't do that. Um, we don't have favorite children. Uh, but I wanted to know what you you really kind of found fascinating in the as the chapters were coming in. I'll start. So uh, one thing was actually um, there was some uh, uh, I guess some catharsis with the book in that when when the chapters started coming in and I read how people's experiences um, in teaching, especially uh, in the methods section, teaching stats, um, were just so similar to mine. I had mentioned this earlier, but, you know, again, I, um, I, I was fortunate, I guess, in my PhD program that I had been able to be a methods TA for the graduate students. So I got some additional, like, reinforcement of the methods. Um, but even in that, I was never taught how to teach methodology. Um, or and teach statistics. Uh, and so, you know, it was a nice thing that was helpful in the job market because I could say, yes, you know, I can teach statistics. I, I ran sections and I, you know, I did uh, uh, homework sessions and things like that, but I had never really taught statistics. Um, and then once I had to, actually not at my first position, but at the position I'm in now, um, it there was a steep learning curve and just figuring out how to do that. And so anyway, I think what was surprising and very pleasing for me was how many other people had experienced the same thing. Um, and, and that it's not just me, because uh, this goes back to a point made earlier. And I think one of the value of, of books like this with, with these pedagogical reflections is a lot of our teaching is so independent, right? I mean, we have maybe once a year, somebody comes in my class and and sits in and they write up a peer review and, and that's about it. Um, you know, and TLC is, you know, every two years normally, right? Um, and so we don't get to have these conversations very much. So to, to, to see such commonality with other people teaching classes that I'm teaching, I think that was, um, I guess, surprising in a sense because I don't get to have these conversations very much. Um, but it, I, I really appreciated that. Catharsis, I think, is a great word, Dan. And I felt it in another direction, too. I totally agree. There was a lot of relief at the consistency of experience. Um, but for me, there was also a relief in seeing people do things and describe how they did things that I always thought sounded really cool, but I never had any idea how to get started. So things like creating a lab or a discussion group or, or something like that. It's one of those things I've always had on my to-do list and I've never really thought, how do you do that? Do you need a lot of money? What do you, you know, how does that happen? Um, and I felt a lot better knowing uh, that there are people out there who said, yeah, here's how I did it. I didn't, I wasn't born with any, any, anything special or there wasn't a big grant involved. It was just something I wanted to do and here's how it came to be. So I actually felt kind of motivated and inspired uh, by some of the folks doing things that I kind of thought were out of my reach or um, otherwise thought were going to be, you know, way too much work to get started in. That would have to be something I do years from now or whatnot. But um, there's a lot of people uh, just, you know, sharing stories that are really authentic and really accessible. Make, makes you feel like you can go do it. So I had a few chapters that were that, were that way, uh, the labs in particular for me. Julia, how about you? Well, I want to also point out like a bigger picture thing, which is we pulled this book off with all of these authors and all these chapters in the middle of a pandemic. Like, that is amazing. And I applaud all of these authors, um, all 43 of them and the three of us for really pulling that, this off. You know, it's funny because a lot of the authors said to us, 
this was actually really helpful for them. It was a nice, easy kind of writing and getting their own thoughts out there. And it almost becomes like diary journal writing and, you know, letting all those thoughts out. And so that was quite surprising. And we had really a tight schedule on this. Like we said, you know, the initial idea was February 2020. We really settled down on this, um, you know, March, April. We got those abstracts in in May. We decided on the abstracts mid-May. And I remember this because I gave birth two days later. Um, and then, you know, those first drafts came in by August and then everything was done, right? Like it was amazing how um, all of this came together in the middle of, of all of this. Um, and so I want to give a shout out to that. I also want to echo what Eric was saying about like, wow, there are some really cool things out there that people are doing and maybe I can do it too. Um, and so the uh, gender lab is actually a really good example in part because I started adopting that model and for sort of some meta picture here, I started adopting that model, worked with my uh, research assistants really for more of a team and then a charity butcher reached out to me and said, I want to edit a volume on um, balancing research and teaching. And how do we um, do uh, good research when we're at um, resource uh, poor, if you will, uh, institutions? And I really want people to talk about this. And I said, well, hey, I have a great home for you. And now that volume is going to come out in the same series with the same publisher. Um, and so that's really awesome. And I'm going to be authoring a chapter with my students because now I've seen that Nadia, you know, included her students in the writing. And so now I'm doing that. Um, but I do want to give a special shout out to a chapter that may otherwise be overlooked and something I'd never heard about before, which is Michaeline Cox's uh, chapter on arts based research. Her students do photo essays. They go out there and take uh, their iPhones and their cameras and take pictures throughout the semester to learn about a topic. That was so wild to me, how to use art and photography um, as a way to, you know, to do research and to understand a topic. Um, I just thought that was really amazing. And while it's not something I'm quite ready to implement completely, I have put in a lot more visual components, um, maybe in part because it's a little bit um, easier um, to grade a ton of visual projects rather than um, a ton of papers. Um, but we've been doing a lot more infographics um, in my classroom and more visual representations of topics rather than uh, just the traditional paper writing. I, I mean, I thought that a lot of those kinds of chapters, Christina Fator's chapter was really interesting too, because uh, it's approaching sort of teaching in a different different context. Um, I unfortunately think that we've lost two of our um, <laughs> colleagues here um, through technical problems that I'm not sure about. Um, but I did want to uh, sort of thank all three of you for joining me today on the New Books Network uh, to talk about this excellent new book from uh, Paul Grave, the Paul Grave Handbook of Political Research uh, Pedagogy. Um, this was published in 2021, Julia, as you said, it all came together during the pandemic, essentially, uh, by Paul Grave. 
and is available on their website, I assume, and also where other books are sold. Um, and and this is not only just for libraries, although the price point is one that is, you know, sort of a little bit higher, um, but certainly one that a department can also invest in um, for uh, a variety of people to be able to access. Um, and so I want to thank um, Dan Mallinson, Julia Marin Helwig, and Eric Lepp for joining me today uh, to talk about the Palgrave Handbook of Political Research Pedagogy. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. And we really hope to see more teacher scholars out there talking about their stories. 